the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and it is the weekend, Saturday, Saturday morning, and we're almost at the international break. We're also almost at the end of the summer transfer window, and it's already been a crazy summer on the transfer front, but there's even more to talk about. But we all know what the biggest topic to discuss is on this episode. It's the U.S. men's national team. We now know the 26 players who've been called in for the upcoming qualifiers in September. Greg Berhalter has chosen his 26, and I'm sure not everybody was happy with all 26. But of course, you can't please all the people all the time. But there's a lot to be happy about. There's a lot of good news coming out of this roster, coming out of some of the names that that were made that that were included on the list, and the biggest name, or at least the the name that should have the most U.S. fans the happiest, is Ricardo Pepe. And why Ricardo Pepe? Well, obviously there was a lot of talk for a, a good while now about would he play for the United States? Would he play for Mexico? And obviously, this summer, with Pepe just tearing it up at MLS, everybody was curious. Would Greg Berhalter be able to convince him to play for the U.S.? Would would the Mexican national team be able to convince him to play for Mexico? And the MLS All-Star game happens, and Pepe scores the winning penalty, just adding to the drama. You had reports, multiple reports, going both ways. You had reports saying the U.S. is going to get him. You had reports saying Mexico is going to get him. And what happens? We get to Thursday. And Ricardo Pepe formally commits to the United States, and he will be taking part in the U.S. men's national team camp in September. And I know there's still some confusion there as far as Pepe goes. And, uh, you know, will he be cap tied? What cap ties him? Does playing in these games cap tie him? And it's all very, it's all, it's complicated because the, the rules, the FIFA rules surrounding cap tying and dual nationals, they've been tweaked they've been adjusted obviously over the years in the past you had so many situations where you had players who could get cap tied just with one game and it would you know it would leave them in tough situations where you know uh, you, you could have some national teams that would go out of their way to cap tie players and then never you know see them again so FIFA made some some adjustments basically giving players the ability to change their minds, uh, ability to, you know, correct mistakes, ability to to still salvage na- uh, international careers on the off chance that maybe their first choice didn't work out. And so that's why it's a little tricky. It's not as simple as, oh, he's cap tight or not cap tight. In some cases, it can be it's, it's convoluted, to be fair, because it can be like if you play in one international, uh, if you play in one official competition match, all, then you can't play in four total. But. Forget all that. By making this decision, Ricardo Pepe is saying, I want to play for the United States, even though I know making this decision now and potentially playing in any of these qualifiers will make it extremely difficult and complicated for me to then switch back or, or switch to Mexico. So he knew that he knew when he makes this. He knew when he made this decision that it's not going to be as simple as, OK, you know what? I tried it out. Nah, I'm going to Mexico. No, it won't. Be, it won't be that simple unless he somehow doesn't play in any of these games. And something tells, tells something tells me he will play in at least one of these qualifiers in September. But it's look at the end of the day, it's great news because you know 
Pepe's a very talented prospect. He, you know, born in the U.S., obviously born, a, grew up in El Paso, very close to the border. So you understand why he has the strong ties. He had a lot of family in Mexico. His family's from Mexico. So you understand why he, you know, is in that, that group of players who would be conflicted about who to play for and have ties and attachments to both sides. But Pepe credited Greg Berhalter with convincing him that they believe in him, that U.S. soccer, the U.S. men's national team, believes him in him as a prospect, believes he can be a big part of what they're doing. And I got to think, at the end of the day, if Pepe is, it can go either way, I have to think he's looking at the situation and saying, you know what, like, I, he, I played in the, in the under-17 World Cup with the U.S. I played with Giorina, uh, Gianluca Busio, Joe Scali, George Bello. A lot of talent on that team. So he knows these guys. He's played with this group before. He knows how talented this generation is. And he should be a part of that group. He should be a part of this generation. So if I'm him, I'm looking at that and say, you know, am I really going to go play for Mexico now? Who I haven't really played with. I haven't been part of that setup. I'm really leaving the U.S. in, in the midst of this golden generation. In the midst of this clear Breakout, this clear kind of evolution into powerhouse status, because the U.S. is growing into a powerhouse. Broke into the top 10 this summer, beat Mexico in two finals this summer, and they're just getting started. To be clear, as young as this, this group is, as much more growing as this group has to do, it's only going to get better. And I give Pepe a lot of credit because he has to know there's competition. There's going to be a lot of competition. And not to say there's no competition in the Mexican side, in the Mexican player pool. But there, there, there are a lot of strikers competing for that number one spot in the U.S. And obviously, it's still a wide open competition. And maybe that appealed to Pepe as well. He's looking at it and say, listen, if I can keep this going, I'm 18 years old. I'm already lighting up MLS. He's the, he's the leading American goal scorer in MLS, tied with C.J. Sapong. So, you know, he makes this decision and, and look, he doesn't need to step in and start. He's not going to start against El Salvador. He's not start. I don't personally think he's going to start in any of these games. You have Josh Sargent and you have Jordan Peefock. And yes, we're going, once again, we're going with Jordan Peefock. Jordan Sibachu, we tried it. Jordan Sibachu, Sibachu, what have you. But the official, coming from U.S. soccer, the official name we're going with from now on is Jordan Peefock. Now, you know, he's made this decision. It's honoring his mother. He does wear it with his club team now with uh, young boys who qualify for the Champions League, by the way. But anyway, we've gotten a little tangent here. Peefock, Sargent, your two strikers for the qualifiers. I think Sargent's number one. But Peefock's been playing well. He's off to a good start to his season with young boys. Just got them into the Champions League. But Pepe can play a role. Pepe can come off the bench. He's not short on confidence. We know this much. We've seen anyone who watched him in the All-Star week, all the festivities, he was eating it up. He was living his best life. Taking part in all the competitions, all the skills competitions, and and then he steps up and scores that penalty. Blasts it right right, right off the underside of the crossbar to win it. So if you see him and you see an 18-year-old like that with that talent and that swag, that swagger that he clearly has, you love the fact that he has chosen to play for the United States. 
And obviously he wasn't the only only, you know, name on the list. You're talking about a twenty six player list uh that that, you know, was called in. And no, no real surprises. No matter what the roster is going to be, you're going to have players who you could say, oh, they were snubbed, not snubbed. So so let's break it down real quick. Uh, the, I think the one thing that might stand out to a lot of people is the fact that Greg Berhalter left out a handful of Gold Cup standouts. And that was one of the topics I got into last episode was, would he not bring in these Gold Cup players who have since gone on to rejoin their club teams and aren't playing or haven't been playing. Do you risk bringing in players who are, are not match fit, who haven't been playing games, who haven't played games in a month into World Cup qualifying? Because there is a risk there. It's it's not the same as a goalkeeper. If you bring a goalkeeper in and you know they haven't been playing necessarily, that's different. But field player, when you have the other options, when you when you can call in players who are playing consistently and who have played, you know, four, five, six matches in August, you're going to go with those players over the ones who haven't played much or at all in August. And I actually, last episode, I said, I thought he would bring them in just because if he's going to have a bigger camp, he'll have room for some of those players. But Berhalter went with 26. I thought he could go up to 28, 29, but I understand, you know, it it gets a little cumbersome. You can't have too many players. If you're going to really, really manage the group, 26 is probably pushing it. So I get it. But let's see who's missing. Matthew Hoppy is missing. And I know some people I know people are freaking out about that one. Some US fans, especially how good he looked in a gold cup. But he hasn't been playing. I mean, you're almost we're talking almost a month without a game for Matthew Hoppy, without the without a start, without significant minutes. Then you have Gianluca Busio, who by the way, <laughs> the day after Burhalter uh, picks the roster and leaves Busio off, what does he do? He starts and makes his uh, Serie A debut for Ven- for Venezia. I've been told that one of one of one of our listeners slash SBI readers tried to correct me on the pronunciation of Venezia. I'm going to try to stick to that. I know I've said Venezia for the longest time, Venezia. But yes, Busio makes his debut for Venezia. Plays pretty well. Venezia is not good. Venezia needs some help. Venezia needs a couple of center backs. They need a goalkeeper who can pass. They need some things. But for me, you know what? I like what I saw from Busio. That's a, we'll get into that a little later. But point is, he hadn't been playing up until that point. Berhalter doesn't bring him in. Sam Vines, who did play a game last week and did has made his Royal Antwerp debut, but Berhalter goes with George Bello, who's been playing since the Gold Cup, came back from Gold Cup, Right into the line for Atlanta, playing well. So you understand that. And then you have Shaq Moore and Reggie Cannon also not playing. And Shaq Moore was one of the revelations of the Gold Cup, obviously. Reggie Cannon gets injured. Shaq Moore steps in, takes full advantage, starts throughout almost the entire Gold Cup. And really showed himself to be a viable option at right back. But guess what happens? He goes back to his club team. And he's not, he can't get a starting job because he missed the preseason. So now Shaq Moore's not playing. And now he's not called into World Cup qualifying. And I know at least what some people are going to ask or question is, was it worth it for these players to play in the Gold Cup? Was it worth it for these players to play in the Gold Cup if at the end of the day, it hasn't helped them get into the World Cup qualifying squad? And that was supposed to be the carrot. 
That was supposed to be the the appeal in the Gold Cup. You go to the Gold Cup to play your way up the depth chart, to move up into the picture for World Cup qualifying. That was what we heard going into the Gold Cup. And obviously, for that handful of players that we just mentioned, it didn't work out that way. Even though they had good World Cup, uh, Gold Cups. I mean, Matthew Hoppy, case, you know, case in point. Great Gold Cup. Unfortunately, with him, you have a situation of he misses preseason. Allegedly had food poisoning, if that's true or not. Obviously, there's the transfer talk about, you know, he could potentially move. He could, you know, shock is probably more than likely going to sell him once they give up trying to ask for so much money. They probably will sell him before the windows close. Hoppy, tough situation. But is it a mistake? Is it a mistake to not bring these these players in? I last episode said I thought Berhalter would bring these players. But I completely understand why he would not bring these players. Because when you look at the 26-player roster that he did bring in, they're all playing. They've all been playing. I mean, Kellen Acosta is an example. I, he was out after the Gold Cup. Came back to the Rapids. Whether he had COVID, I, I have not seen any official declarations on what injury or illness or what was keeping Kellen Acosta on the sidelines. But he came back in time, was in the lineup this uh, last weekend, and that showed Burhalter. look, he's fit, he's back, he's playing there's no way you leave Kellen Acosta off if he's available and healthy, especially when he played in both Nations League and Gold Cup and played well. You had to bring him in even though he only had one game under his belt. Unfortunately, you couldn't say the same for Eric Williamson, who I thought, you know what, I thought he would be, he had a chance to be part of this group, but once he once he was, you know, late in getting back into the mix for Portland or, you know, whatever happened to him, whether he got sick or what have you, that ended up causing him in the end. Well, when, when, you, when we look at this U.S. roster, what one thing that does stand out a bit is when you look at the breakup of the positions. And on the official listing, the official qualifying roster listing, one, two, three, four, five midfielders. It seems like a, sh- it's, it's a small number. And you're like, wait, why only five midfielders? Well, basically... When you look at the other players and the forwards that are available, Brendan Aronson, Giorena, listed as forwards, but as we know, can play in midfield roles, can play as central midfielders. Brendan Aronson has pretty much been exclusively playing as an attacking midfielder in that number 10 role. Giorena has been spending more time central for Dortmund this season. And I, I asked Greg Berhalter about that. I said, you know, should we take this construction of this roster to, to should we take that and, and assume that that means we're going to see Aronson and Reina centrally, which I think most U S fans want to see. And yes, U S fans, you should be pretty excited because Berhalter acknowledged that that is in fact what should happen. So what do we like about this roster? Our, as I said, you know, small midfield, however, you have Aronson, you have Reina. And as Berhalter pointed out, you also have James Sands. In there, he can play as a defensive midfielder. He can play as a center back. So, you know, I've talked a bit about what people like, what we like about this roster, but what don't we like, or what don't people like about this roster? And you know what, you know what people don't like, or some people don't like. And of course, it's predictable. Some of the MLS players 
who are part of the group. And I got to be honest, I think it's just pretty silly at this point for people to be surprised at some of the players that are included when they've con- they've consistently been included and have consistently been a part of the squad. Sebastian Legette has been a steady, consistent part of the team for long enough now that no one should be surprised. And I know some people look at the Gold Cup and it's all how you... It's funny to me because the, the Gold Cup is a perfect example of the type of competition, at least Legette's body of work at the Gold Cup is a perfect example of people's perceptions skewing how they rate someone's overall performance. Because I'm not going to sit here and say Legette was amazing at the Gold Cup. No. But do I think he was better at the Gold Cup than his biggest detractors think? Absolutely. I think he was better than the biggest complainers about Legette's inclusion seem to think. Because I, I got to say, seeing, seeing some of the stuff, it's like, oh, he's terrible. He's, you know, he like, sorry, I'm sorry. I disagree. I think he brings plenty to the table. And I think while there are players that are, you know, missing that could have been included, I just think some of the hand-wringing, some of the complaints, just, it's just funny. To, it just leaves, my scratch, leaves me scratching my head a bit. Because, I mean, I'll be the first one to say I thought Julian Green should be included. Now, that has nothing to do with Legit. I think they both could have been included. Because I know some people will also complain about Christian Roldan. And I said it during the Gold Cup. I said it on the show. There were points in, in the time when, yes, Christian Roldan was not doing enough with his performances, with his appearances. He needed to do more. And I thought in the Gold Cup he did more. I... I w- w- you know, he comes off the bench and, and sets up the winning goal in uh, in the quarterfinals, I believe it was. It's all a blur now. But he did do more. He did show that he can be a factor. Christian Roldan showed he can give you something. But somehow people just forgot that. It's like it's you just you just block out the good things that the player does, and you'll point to the bad moments. And, yes, Christian Roldan had his rough moments. He had his games where he didn't perform well. But he also played well in some of these games. So that's why he's on this team. But I agree. Julian Green, if we're talking snubs now, snubs, you can point to the Gold Cup players who were left off for not playing much or at all in August. But then you have someone like Julian Green. Julian Green was someone who Berhalter wanted for the Gold Cup. Julian Green wanted to play in the Gold Cup. But Julian Green's team didn't really want him to play in a Gold Cup. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Number one, Gruther Firth just got promoted to the Bundesliga. They're not a big money team. They need all hands on deck. And as we've seen now, they've lost, they've started the year with three losses. Or was it two losses? They haven't won. And they, this is, as I'm recording this, they're, they're on their way to losing another match. So it's already a rough start for that team. But they didn't want to have to give up one of their starting midfielders and be the only team in a top four, in a, in a, the only team from one of the top four leagues giving up a starter for the Gold Cup. So Burhalter had to make that decision. Burhalter had to decide am I going to mess with Julian Green's position at first? Uh, you know, or am I going to get, let him? have every opportunity to get off to a strong start to the Bundesliga season and then consider bringing him in. 
And and Green Green's been in the lineup. He's been starting. He's been playing. Has he been playing well? He's been playing okay. He hasn't. Some people are acting like he's playing terribly. His team is playing terribly. But I'd argue that Julian Green has been one of the better players on a terrible team to start this season. But alas, Berhalter decides it's not enough. He doesn't bring him in. That's that's the one player. If you're asking me of all the players who are left out, that's the one that I like. I'm like, you know what? I think he could have brought him in, especially with the numbers in midfield. But then you have someone like Luca Delator. And Luca Delator is an interesting one, right? Because I feel like there there are quite a few US fans who have completely been become enamored with the idea of Luca Delator. Why? Because he plays in the in he plays in Europe. He played a full season as a starter for Heracles in in the Dutch league. Good season. Joins the US team, plays in uh plays in the friendly. Comes off, comes off the bench, you know, gets a nice little stretch off the bench, shows some flashes. He had a nice, he had a tidy, nice, impressive showing off the bench. Nothing amazing, nothing earth shattering, but it was an encouraging, positive performance off the bench in a cameo in a friendly. But some people have taken that cameo, coupled with him having a full season as a starter in the Dutch league, and turned that into. Him being this unbelievable player that has to be on the U.S. team and has to be in ahead of Sebastian Legette, ahead of Christian Roldan. And I just don't know how you get that. I, I don't know how you make that leap and say that's a, it's a man, automatic. Luka Delator automatically has to be better than Christian Roldan. Luka Delator automatically has to be better than Sebastian Legette. No, I'm sorry. I don't agree with that. I don't see it. And I feel like it, it has more to do with the whole Europe versus MLS thing. There are clearly some people who just ha- will always look at MLS in a negative light. It will look at those players in a negative light and will take their performances and always skew them to the negative. Oh, never give those performances the credit that they deserve. So if Sebastian Legit has a good game, no, he only had an okay game. If he has an okay game, he was terrible. If he actually struggles, oh, wow, here we go. Exhibit A, this is why he should not be anywhere near the national team. Same exact thing with Roldan. And I'm not here to say that that, that none of these decisions or none of the roster choices can be questioned. Because you can. Look, everyone has their right to to their opinions, uh, to to players that they wish they could see. I mean, I've I've obviously gone on record multiple times now saying I think Julian Green deserves a bigger role in the team. So I'm, I'm right there with everybody. But there's a fine line. Between having preferences, having players that, you know what, I think this person deserves more of a chance. This person deserves to be in here ahead of that person. Totally understandable. But the 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 lengths that some people will go to discredit certain players and to prop up other players is just funny to me. Because I'm sorry, Luca Delator, and I don't want, like, and again, this is going to feel like I'm attacking Luca Delator, but I actually think he's a good player. I think he does bring something to the table. Absolutely. But I got to say, I feel like some people are choosing to prop him up, choosing to inflate his ability, his capabilities and his actual uh, production and output in order to help their arguments against certain other players. So in this case, looking at this group, at no point did I ever think Luca Delatore would be part of this group at no point. But somehow people are freaking out because Luka Del- Delator wasn't included ahead of a roll down, ahead of the jet. Sorry, don't see it. 
Now, if you're asking me Julian Green versus Christian Roldan, who would I personally take between the two? That's a tougher one than you would think. Because Roldan has been with this team. Roldan has been, he's played in a goal, he's played in multiple gold cups. He's played in multiple competitions with this group. He knows this group a lot better than Julian Green does. But I personally, I think Green brings some unique qualities to the table that the current group doesn't have. So I would have found a way to put him on. And then Greg Berhalter felt differently. And what the only thing Julian Green can do is continue to play, continue to try to make the most of his appearances. And if he plays well in the Bundesliga and continues to play well in the Bundesliga, irrespective of Firth, and if Firth continues to struggle, obviously it makes it tougher for him. But he just needs to play and play well. Because if he plays well consistently and continues to play well consistently, at a certain point, Burhalter will not be able to ignore that. And you can argue, well, what about Luka Delator? Well, you know what? Look, the Dutch League is not the Bundesliga. Number one. Let's make that clear. But I will say I do think Delator is on the radar. And I don't know if some of these players like Lejet and Roldan, if they they do need to produce. And they will need to produce in these in these qualifiers. And if Roldan doesn't produce, if Lejet doesn't produce, if they don't produce in these qualifiers, their their positions will be on shakier ground heading into October, heading into November. But I will say, as far as the midfield goes, the good news, the good news is the fact that Berhalter is ready to con- consider using Aronson and Reyna in central roles. And what could end up delaying that a bit is the Christian Pulisic uncertainty. Christian Pulisic, as of right now, is tentatively scheduled to join the team in Nashville on Sunday. That's the plan. But obviously things can change. He ha- you have to see how he feels. You have to see what like, the test says he takes them and he passes. There's so many things at play here that you have to say it's a pretty long... It, it, looking at it all... The first qualifier is Thursday. It's five days away. Not a lot of time. So it's looking less and less likely Pulisic plays against El Salvador. So if that's the case, then more that's even less of a chance that you're going to see Aronson. You're going to have to see either Reyna or Aronson fill in for Pulisic on the, in the wide role. And the way Aronson's playing, I think he, he you can start Aronson. I think, and I think honestly, just I know Conrad De La Fuente is the player that everyone's kind of going crazy about, and 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 are super excited about, rightfully so, because he's been amazing to start the season for Marseille. But for me, Brendan Aronson and the things that he's done for Salzburg, especially in Champions League, in the Champions League playoffs, scoring in both legs of the of the series to get them into the Champions League group, group stage, he scores in each leg. He's been starting every game as an attacking midfielder. For me, I'm starting Aronson. In in the central midfield, I'd keep Reyna wide, and i go Conrad De La Fuente as your other winger. Although I can absolutely, and I probably more than likely see Berhalter starting Tim Weah because of the experience factor. I mean, you're going down to El Salvador, hostile environment, CONCACAF, on the road, Tim Weah, a bit more experienced player, a more seasoned player. So I can see Tim Weah getting a nod over Conrad De La Fuente, and I can see De La Fuente being that guy you bring off the bench, at least for that first game. Could I see De La Fuente starting against Canada? Absolutely. 
But if you're a U.S. fan, you should love the idea that we we are going to see Aronson or Reyna, or maybe Aronson and Reyna getting getting chances to play centrally in this in these upcoming qualifiers. That's great to hear because for me, Gio Reyna eventually will play centrally. I think for the U.S., when it's all said and done, he will be playing centrally. He can play wide. And I feel like some, you know, I feel like some fans have, have, have kind of taken it as as to think that Berhalter doesn't rate Reina centrally. That's not the case at all, folks. I, I just, you know, I hate to break it to you, but that has nothing to do with it at all. Because I've had extensive conversations with Berhalter about Reina. I mean, I want to say more than two years now, because I remember asking uh, Berhalter about Reina more than two years ago about positions, and and even then talking about positions. Where does he see him? And really, what it boils down to is, you know, at this point in his in his evolution as a player, at this point in his career, you want to put him out in space and let let him take people on, let him have room to operate, and not get bogged down in the suggested, you know, the boiler room of the central midfield where it can be very easy for opposing teams, especially in CONCACAF, to just beat up on creative players. And we've seen it before. We saw Pulisic take a beating in the last World Cup qualifying cycle. Now, that's not to say, look, oh, Gio Reyna can handle it. Of course he can handle it. But he can be more effective out wide for now. But eventually I see his future centrally. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We see where he gets to play or, or if it's going to be Aronson centrally and Reina wide. But you know what's great is that, that you have options. What's great is that you may not have Pulisic in that first game and no one's really freaking out. And because you, should, you don't have to because there are other options. We aren't in those times not too long ago where if you if there was if you didn't have Christian Pulisic, all of a sudden it's the end of the world because he's the one like high level elite attacker that you had. Now you've got a few more and U.S. fans should be very, very excited about that. Now, we've talked about the midfield. We've talked about the forward position. We have not even really talked about the defense, the defense. And I can tell you right now, the one player people were freaking out about was Tim Reeves. How is Tim Ream still a part of this setup at his age with his, uh, you know, clear speed deficiency? Did we not see enough of the struggle against Mexico to know that Tim Ream should not still be part of this setup? I knew it was coming as soon as I saw it. And I'll be the first to say, I didn't actually think he would still at this point have a part to play. But I'll give you two reasons why. He is in here. Number one, he's off to a really good start for Fulham. He's off to a good start to his season in the league championship. Both Reem and Anthony Robinson are off to a good start to the, to the season in the league championship, playing well. That's number one. Number two, Reem in a lot of ways is almost like an assistant coach. And I know some people hear that and say that's a, that's a slap at Reem or that's a dig at Reem. No, it's not a dig at Reem because it's what he brings qualities Brings a lot of different qualities. He does have deficiencies. He does ha- does have the weak points to his game, no question. But there is something to be said for what someone can bring in as a locker room presence. Now, and I've known Tim Ream from day one. I covered him as a rookie in in New York, and I know the type of person he is from day one. You could tell he's a class individual. Like he knew he, and even then as a rookie, he was like a you know this really polished guy, like sharp person. 
level-headed person, super intelligent. And now here we are, however many years later, 10, 11 years later, and he he just carries a certain cachet in that locker room. Does that now does that mean you want him in your starting lineup going up against a, a, like a a really stacked attack? That's you know that's a little you know that's a little trickier. But I I can understand why Berhalter brought him in, even though clearly there are other prospects you could have brought in. You could have brought in Chris Richards, though he hasn't been playing much. You could have you know brought in Eric Palmer Brown again, not playing much. Matt Miazga, who just made a move to La Liga on loan. So I get it. I, I totally get it. And I'm, I, and I'm in the same boat in the sense that I, I remember when I did my first projection of the roster at the beginning of the month, I, I didn't include Reem. I totally forgot Reem. I totally, like, in my mind, after the Nations League, I thought that was it. Nations League is it. This is it. For We won't see Team Reem again. But here he is. He's back. The thing is, I don't see him. He's not going to have to play. Necessarily. He's not starting. Right now, you're starting defense. And I don't want to get into projecting the lineup. I'll do that next episode, projecting the starting lineup for El Salvador. But right now, John Brooks, Miles Robinson, that's your starting center back tandem in the four-man defense. Now, if you're asking me, who is who are the starting center backs when you have three center backs? I would argue your back three would probably be John Brooks, James Sands, and Miles Robinson. And I know, and I, was, I know some people will say, wait a minute. What about Mark McKenzie? What about Walker Zimmerman? I get it. And, I, you know, I rate Mark McKenzie, absolutely. I just think that James Sands and the qualities that he brings in terms of being able to organize and pass, I just think he had in a, in a three back in three in a three center back setup in a five three two whatever ha- you know whether you call it a three five two five three two Sands with Robinson and Brooks on either side of him that for me can be a very effective back three very effective back three so if 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 that is your first choice back three and then Mark McKenzie is probably the next one in to fill in that group. All of a sudden, you're looking at like you're not. You probably won't need Reem, but like I said, he brings certain qualities. He brings a lot of different qualities in terms of a locker room presence. He's pretty much an assistant coach, and in case of emergency, in case you need that left-footed center back, he he can plug in that role. He can play that role. Now, I wouldn't want him to go up against Brazil. I wouldn't want to go him to go up against France or Belgium. But you know what? El Salvador, Honduras, I think he can do a job. Now, as far as right back goes, that's an interesting one, I got to say. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Reggie Cannon, Shaq Moore left off. They haven't been playing. And now you have DeAndre Yedlin come in. And Yedlin, I give Yedlin a lot of credit. Because, you know, he, show, you know, he showed some things in the Nations League. It's long been thought that Berhalter doesn't rate him, that Berhalter doesn't see him fitting into the type of fullback he wants. And yet Yedlin still played his way into, into the mix. He played his way into a role in the final against Mexico. And I thought he did well. Goes to Galatasaray, 
all you're hearing is reports out of Turkey that Galatasaray doesn't want him, that he's going to leave, they're going to get rid of him. Now, that, that, that's all still possible. He could still, in the next four days, leave Galatasaray. Because the money he's on, the, the manager has other options, sees other options, and Galatasaray is going to look to save some money. They could move Yedlin. But, to Yedlin's credit, he's actually been playing for Galatasaray. He's been playing in their Europa League conference games and doing well. And those performances are what has have gotten Yedlin back in to the U.S. setup. And Yedlin, to his credit, Yedlin has played in World Cup qualifying. That's a reason. That's you know that's there's that's nothing to shake a stick at, and that's that's something else to consider when you're talking about the, these players. Because I'm I'm looking at it right now, right? In terms of players who've played in World Cup qualifiers before, Christian Pulisic has played in 13. That's the most on the roster. But number two is Yedlin. Yedlin's played in 10 World Cup qualifiers, and there's clearly value in having that experience. Which is why you could absolutely see him start. I know most people think, okay, Dest, Yedlin, uh, Dest and Nancy Robinson will be your starting fullbacks against El Salvador. But when you think about Yedlin's experience and the fact that he's been playing, so he's in form, potentially could you see Yedlin at right back and Dest at left back? It's a possibility. I absolutely think it can be. Now, when you look at that, li- again, when you look at this list of players who've played in World Cup qualifiers, it's Kellen Acosta, six appearances. Tim Ream, six appearances. John Brooks, only four. I'm not, I was a little surprised that by that, but John Brooks has only played in four World Cup qualifiers. And then Sebastian Lejet played in one qualifier. That was the game against Honduras where he scored the goal and was injured. Suffered a serious injury in that qualifier against Honduras that the U.S. won back in 2017. Yeah, 2017. That's not a lot of World Cup qualifying experience. For a full roster, as talented as it is. And it just reminds you how young this group is. So when you consider that, when you consider how young this group is, how little World Cup qualifying experience the group has, it, it, it makes, it, you can understand then, or I can understand, why Tim Ream gets on this team. Why DeAndre Yedlin gets on this team. Because let's just say hypothetically, let's say, okay, Step us, Tim Ream, you can stay home. I'm going to bring in Chris Richards just as a name, just to throw a name out there. You, you know, DeAndre Yedlin, uh, thanks, but we're going to go with Shaq Moore because he had a good Gold Cup. All of a sudden, you take Tim Ream and DeAndre Yedlin off of this list. And then you have Christian Pulisic, who, you know, he's a question mark for the opener. You are down to three players with qualifying experience with a combined 11 World Cup qualifiers. 11. That's not a lot of experience. So that's some, so people just need to think about these type of factors. Because I just don't feel like people really consider the types of ingredients that can co- go into the recipe of building a team. It's not always so simple as it's just the 11 highest rated names a la FIFA. This isn't a video game. A lot of times it can be about mixing this group into one dish. And sometimes you need a little something that, you know what? 
this ingredient might not be as valuable as this other ingredient, but we already have some of that. So we need a little bit of this. And Tim Ream isn't as good a player. He clearly doesn't have as much upside in terms of long-term value as Chris Richards. Chris Richards is going to be, for my money, a starter in a top four league for 10 years. He's going to start in World Cups, in my opinion. Chris Richards, he has tons of talent. But guess what? He's not playing right now. He didn't play this summer. He didn't play in Nations League. He didn't play in the Gold Cup. He's sitting on the bench at Bayern waiting for his move, his next move, whether it's a loan to Hoffenheim, whether he's sold, whether a Premier League team comes in and buys him. He's in, he's in that in-between right now. So that's why a Tim Ream gets called in. And I'm sure that's still not enough justification for some people, but you don't have to agree. But as long as you at least understand, there's a difference between agreeing and understanding. You can understand and not agree with it. Just like I understand why Berhalter didn't bring in Julian Green. I don't necessarily agree with it. And I know some people don't agree with a Roldan. But you should try to understand why Roldan gets in over a Delator. Because it's not that hard. It shouldn't be that hard to understand. Well, I think I've ranted on long enough about the U.S. men's national team roster. There, there'll be a lot more to get into next week. Uh, I'll, we'll have a show on Monday to break things down. I basically, the goal will be to have a show Monday. And then to, I'm going to shoot for, I want to say Wednesday. So the next game is, so the qualifier against El Salvador is on Thursday. I don't want to drop an episode right on Thursday. I want to give that, I want to give that preview episode a chance to breathe so yeah next week we could actually we could absolutely have we should should have three episodes next week i'm gonna have a busy week i'm, I'm working with for, for those who who don't know I, I will be working with the cbs sports network slash paramount plus once again on their on their coverage i was i worked with them in in back in june in with nations league working uh, as a researcher Working with the you know with the crew there you know Gucci Onyewu, Charlie Davies, Clint Dempsey, Mo Widu, and uh, the All Star team of, of analysts that they have, they're all back, and I'll be working with them again. So I'll be uh, you know I'll be working with uh, for all three qualifiers for them. So I actually won't be in Nashville uh, as disappointing as, as it'll be to not be in Nashville, but I will be I'll be staying in the New York area working with uh, CBS Sports Network, but. I will find a way to fit in three episodes this week because obviously there's going to be plenty of t- to talk about. So Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, and then I want to say Friday or Saturday. The Saturday drop thing has kind of become a norm for me. Uh, but now that Ivis Jr. is heading to college on Sunday, uh, I-, I think I'll be able to get into a-, a bit more of a rhythm of Monday drop, Thursday drop, Thursday night slash early, early Friday morning drop. I think that's going to be the ideal schedule going forward. It's been a little tougher in these recent weeks to pull that off, but that's the goal heading into September. So stay tuned for that. Now, moving on from the U.S. men's national team, we have to talk Americans abroad, and it's a lot of the same players, a lot of the same topics, but it was a busy Thursday because not only did the U.S. roster come out, the U.S. men's national team roster come out, it was also Champions League draw day. And talk about timing. I wish, uh, unfortunately, UEFA didn't move the draw to Friday. The draw is, I feel like the draw was always on a Friday. But this time around, it was on a Thursday, same day as the U.S. roster. So U.S. fans had a lot to digest in terms of finding out 
who the American players will be facing in the Champions League. And right off the bat, we can say apologies to Tyler Adams and apologies to Jesse Marsh. They were the unfortunate recipients of the group of death. Jesse Marsh, Tyler Adams, RB Leipzig, drawn into the group with Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain, the group of death. And uh, for those who missed the video, there's a video of Tyler Adams reacting to the draw. And uh, he clearly wasn't happy about the draw. And it, it, it was funny to me because when I saw it, I said, wait a minute, this is a spoof, right? Did they just lay over the audio? Because Tyler Adams isn't reacting this way to the draw as much as you might not be happy about the draw. But it turns out it was real. It turns out it was his girlfriend. So he can't even be mad because, you know, his girlfriend He's not going to, you know, can't be too upset about it. But... You can understand why Adams had that reaction because that's not an easy one. That's, I mean, it's as tough as it's going to get because Man City and PSG, you like to think they're going to be penciling their way into the knockout rounds. The silver lining is, however, that Tyler Adams should have the opportunity to play four matches against the best teams in the world. And like, look, he plays in the Bundesliga, so he already plays Bayern. You know, it's not like he doesn't play good teams, but it's still a showcase. It's still a great opportunity to show what you can do how you stack up. I mean, think about that. Four games combined between against potentially Kevin De Bruyne against Lionel Messi. I mean, come on. So as much as it's, you know, you'd love to rather, you know, get a soft draw, weak draw, get, a, you know, get lucky on the draw. You have to kind of look at, you take the good with the bad. And, and the good is there'll be opportunity there to play against the best teams in the world, best, absolute best players in the world. And I'm sure Jesse Marsh will love the challenge. And he's been in that position. He, you know, Champions League is not new for Jesse Marsh. He, he, he had two seasons with Red Bull Salzburg in the Champions League. And he gave some really, really top teams all they could handle with Salzburg. Now he gets to go up against that type of opponent with a much more talented Leipzig team. So we'll see. We'll see how they do. If you're a U.S. fan, the, the group you're going to want to pay attention to is Group G. And Group G has Tim Weah and Lille. Brendan Aronson in Salzburg, and John Brooks in Wolfsburg. And those three teams are in there with Sevilla. Uh, and I think when it comes down to it, you will have at least one American get through to the knockout rounds. And in theory, all four of those teams have a chance. I even say Salzburg has a chance to get out of that group. I mean, they're they're the underdog, clearly. And Sevilla is such a good team. But again, Sevilla's, you know, they're, they're dealing with the transfer window and potentially losing players. Jules Koundé has been linked to Chelsea. Outstanding center back. It'd be a big loss for Sevilla if he goes. But if you're a U.S. fan, that's a great group. And looking at some of the other groups, if you're Giorena, you know, we all saw the footage of Tyler Adams being a little <laughs> less than satisfied with the draw. But Giorena should be pretty happy with his draw. Borussia Dortmund's in the same group in Group C with uh, Sporting. Uh, Sporting of Lisbon, Ajax, and Besiktas. And Dortmund, you have to think, is the favorite to win that group. Uh, And then you have uh, Jordan Pifok in in a group with Villarreal, Manchester United, and Atalanta. That's a pretty tough group. Young boys will be the number four pick out of that group, so not an easy one there. And then you have Chelsea, uh, Christian Pulisic, and Weston McKinney and Juventus are in the same group. Although, as we know, Weston McKinney could be on the move. He could be leaving Juventus, so we might not get to see McKinney versus Pulisic. Hopefully we do. Hopefully McKinney stays at Juventus. I don't want to say hopefully, but if he does stay, a silver lining in that will be that we could potentially see McKinney 
versus Pulisic in the Champions League. I think that'd be great. Then you also have Serginho Dest and FC Barcelona in the same group as Bayern Munich. And as of right now, Chris Richards is still with Bayern Munich. He's he's been uh, he's been on the bench for them, but clearly he could still make his move. If he doesn't make a move, then potentially we could see Serginho Dest and Chris Richards cross paths in the Champions League. And I think that's it looking at... And the other outstanding group in there, obviously, is Group B. When you talk about Atletico Madrid, Liverpool, Porto, AC Milan. That's a top-to-bottom solid group. You could argue almost that, that that's as much a group of death as Group A, just because, you know, no offense to Club Bruges, but, you know, FC Porto and AC Milan as a third and fourth team. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah, pretty good draw. Pretty good draw for some of these teams. And as of right now... We're talking 12 American players expected to be on Champions League rosters. And I'm not getting into every single youth player that's on the books at one of these teams that are that, that have like no chance to make these teams. And I thought people went a little crazy because it's like the, there's 12 players that are pretty set that you you, you like their chances. Like uh, Owen Oedesoe, who's at Club Bruges. Now, obviously, they just bought him. Was it $4 million, $5 million transfer? He has a good chance to not to play for them. He's going to be on their Champions League roster. There's a difference between that and someone who's like on a youth team. Like, you know, there's so many young Americans. Taylor Booth at Bayern Munich. He, he's not going to make the Champions League roster. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, it, it's interesting. Or, you know, Sebastian Soto. He's at, he's at uh, Porto B. He's not going to be on the Champions League roster. Or CJ DeSantos, who's uh, at Benfica with Benfica B. He's not going to make the Champions League roster. So, uh it's funny because 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people would be happy at the players who are on the youth teams for these clubs. Now you have Americans playing prominent roles for these big teams. That just shows you the difference, different world we're living in. And speaking of Americans abroad, as I'm recording this on Saturday morning, yesterday, Friday, think about this. On Friday, you had an American teenager making his starting debut in Serie A, Gianluca Busio, you had an American teenager starting, scoring a goal, setting a record as the youngest player to ever make 50 appearances in the Bundesliga, Giorena, scores a goal in a win for Dortmund. And then you had an American teenager in Yunus Musa playing in La Liga against another American, Matt Miazga, making his debut for Alaves. And that's all on a Friday one day, three teenagers, American teenagers in Europe, playing in the top leagues in Europe. That just, that's just, I mean, you got to stand up and applaud that. That is, that just shows you the different type of world we're living in. And Gianluca Busio, for those who missed it, he made his debut starting for Venezia in their match against Udinese. Now, they obviously got beat. They got beat sound. I think the final was 3-0. But I thought Busio did pretty well for himself, especially in the first half. He had a very good first half. And I had a chance to watch that game. Um, and then once again, Serie A is on Paramount+. Plus. So if you want to watch Serie A matches and get Paramount+, Plus, you can watch all the matches. Busio looked comfortable. He looked confident. And if, if, it, if you get to watch Venezia, Venezia, Venezia uh, they're a work in progress. They're, they're a team. They're going to struggle. It's going to be a struggle to stay up. But Busio looks the part. He looks like he can handle himself. When you watch when you watch Venezia play, at least for me, and you know you can call me a homer if you want, but he didn't he didn't look like the problem. 
He looks like one of the better players on that team. So that that's a great debut for him. You know, the loss aside, I thought he played pretty well for himself. Matt Miazga and Alaves. Obviously, Miazga had Alaves lost. They they got beat pretty soundly by Valencia. And Miazga, I, I, what I will say is, I was surprised that it, he was able to get right into the starting lineup. And there, and there's a positive in that because it shows you the coaches had him in. They had him in for a week. They liked what they saw. They said, you know what, he's better than who, who else we have at center back. Let's put him in. Now, it wasn't like the best debut in terms of, obviously, on the first goal, he, he he kept the player on side a bit. So you could definitely, you know, he had some blame on their first goal. The second goal, he was in the vicinity. But, I mean, when a guy hits a freaking scorpion kick thing goal, I mean, I don't know how much you want to blame Miazga for that one. But the good news is that Miazga made his starting debut in La Liga. And after playing in the league championship, Belgium, the Netherlands, this is another step up. This is a step up. And this season for Miazga is a huge opportunity for him to show that, look, I am I am good enough to play in a top four league. And this is obviously an audition for him because his contract's up, going to be up in another year for Chelsea. One way or another, Chelsea's going to get rid of him next summer. The question is, will will he be going via a nice tidy sale or will they just be cutting him just parting ways? And it's all going to come down to how good a season he can have in La Liga. It's not going to be easy. As we saw, first game, they get beat 3-0 by Valencia. And the silver lining, if you're an American fan, is Yunus Musa is back. Came off the bench. He'd been sidelined with, I believe, an ankle injury. So it's good that he's back. He won't. He's not taking part in World Cup qualifying, but as he gets back into playing for Valencia, you have to think he's going to have a chance to be part of the U.S. setup in October. And and real quick, something I did want to kind of touch on is the whole Yunus Musa thing because I found it interesting how some people, and it's always a couple. It's never like this critical like thousands of people complaining about it, but. There's obviously been some hand-wringing about Eunice Musa and Greg Berhalter's decision not to play him in the Nations League. And what's interesting now is, is the fact that, you know, at the time, for those who don't remember, Eunice Musa coming into the Nations League or, or, or heading into the, into the summer, remember he had missed a, a chunk of time with Valencia. He had been sidelined. And it was never made clear if he had COVID or what have you, but he he was out of action for some time. So he was not 100% match fit. And my understanding is that that was really the main motivation or the main reasoning behind him not getting a chance to play in the Nations League because Berhalter saw opportunities to give other players, uh, to turn to other players who were, who were, their fitness situations were better. And so he missed out. And if... The sense you get from Musa is that while he obviously would have preferred to play, it's not like he's gone off and 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 had a you know had a fit about it, or it's totally soured him on the U.S. national team, or it has turned his head and led him to go play for another country. No, he understands. He's dealing with it. He'll try to get back into the picture again. All by all accounts, he still wants to play for the United States, and that's great. But this whole idea that, oh, Berhalter totally botched this, dropped the ball, he should have played him. And it's like, if if Musa wasn't fit, 
or if Berhalter thought he wasn't fit to plug into these into the game against Honduras, the, especially the game against Mexico. I mean, the game it worked out. I mean, the Mexico they beat Mexico. Berhalter's substitutions worked out pretty well in that game. So, while yes, it's unfortunate. If anything, I I give Berhalter credit for not just trying, you know, not just putting him in just to put him in, because that would have been the easy thing to do. And I, for me, I say what come October, Yunus Musa, I think will absolutely be a part of this if he's healthy. If he's healthy, he gets into the lineup at Valencia. He's playing for Valencia. He will have his opportunity. Absolutely, I think Yunus Musa is going to have a big part to play in World Cup qualifying. Now, moving on to MLS, and it was an interesting week. Obviously, you had the MLS All-Star uh, festivities on uh, on Wednesday, and I, I believe the last show we had was before the All-Star game. So for those who missed it, MLS All-Stars defeated the, Mex- the league I'm making All-Stars in the penalty shootout. Ricardo Pepe converting the winning penalty, and how about Matt Turner continuing his outstanding summer Two penalty saves in the shootout. And I said it last episode. I'll say it now. You can't put too much into the result. Because in one way or the other, if Mexico had won, I would have said the same thing. So MLS wins, and I'm going to say the same thing. That does not mean really much in terms of trying to uh, evaluate MLS versus Liga Mekis. It doesn't mean anything. MLS has really good stars, really good top-level talent. That's never been the question. That's never been the issue. When comparing Liga Mekis versus MLS. So that's never been the, the issue. The issue is depth. The issue is player 8 to 15. And strengthening that to close the gap and to surpass Liga Mekis. So, bravo to MLS for the, for the all-star win. But, you know what? Make sure let's keep it in context. Let's not get crazy. Let's not. Because it was, it was funny. I saw a headline, and I'm sure it was even on the MLS website. Surprise, surprise. But... Already, it's like, oh, see, this shows the progress. Like, no, stop it. Like, stop. Like, yeah, stop it. It's just propaganda, man. Propaganda. But it was good to see the festivities. It was a great week. I, I got to be honest. I was jealous. Uh, I like. I wish I could have gone to LA. And I, I mean, I could have gone to LA. But priorities, you know, I got to spend the week with my kid. I'm, I'm less than 24 hours from taking my ta- taking Iris Junior to college, and I'm handling it a little better than the wife. The wife's clearly not happy. She's, you know, she's sad. And I'm probably sad too deep down, but life goes on. But All Star Week, All Star Week was a vibe, by all accounts, and uh, it was great. It was great to see an event like that come off, and and really, you know, it was a, it was a success. It, I have to say, All Star Week, by all accounts, by every measure, was a success. Now, how many MLS fans are converted to Liga MX fans, or how many Liga MX fans are converted to MLS fans because of that All Star Week? That's eh, a little less clear, but. Overall, it was a good event. Now we get back to the real action in MLS. And how about Friday? Two coaching changes. Freddy Juarez is leaving RSL. And according to The Athletic, is going to Seattle to join the Sounders coaching staff to be uh, Brian Schmetzer, an assistant on Brian Schmetzer's coaching staff. As we know, Gonzalo Pineda and Jimmy Triari have left the Sounders, and uh, Pineda's uh, becoming the head coach of Atlanta United. So, apparently, according to Athletic, Freddie Juarez is leaving a head coaching job at RSL to be an assistant at Seattle. And that seems like, I know some people are like, wait, what? Why? Why would you do that? I mean, who knows? There's any, any number of reasons. 
you know, if you're Juarez and, and you see, you know, you want to be part of a, a champ, a tight potential title winning organization, an organization that is actually one of the top clubs in the league, top most well-run organizations in the league. I mean, they're at the, you know, there's they're at the very, very top, top two or three, definitely top five organizations in the league, if not number one. And no offense to RSL, but I mean, obviously they're going through their whole ownership change. They're not a big spending team. It's a small market. And maybe Horace just wasn't happy as a coach there. So I, I, I can understand it. I can definitely understand it. If you ask me, do I want to be, you know, Seattle's a great town. It's a great organization. I could totally get why he would do that. And then you had Vancouver Whitecaps parting ways with Mark DeSantos. And it look, at the end of the day, the Whitecaps position is a is a bit of a thankless job because the, the Whitecaps are not a traditional spending team. They're not out there getting the you know the superstars. And uh I don't know if their front office is among the best in the, in the league. If anything, you know, if if you're doing informal polls around the league, the Whitecaps is one uh, probably one of the least least regarded front offices in the league. So, as much as their struggles, you know, Mark DeSantos, when you're the head coach, you have to take you're going to have to take the blame for results, no question. But a lot of times, front offices don't get the blame that they should. And if anything, the, you know, the, whether it's the front office, whether it's the ownership. The Whitecaps can do better there. So I, I don't know how much people should be putting it all on Mark DeSantos. Because I actually think he's a good coach. I just think that was a bit of a thankless job that he took in the first place. Now we're going to get into this weekend's action. I'm going to rattle off. We're, th- this episode is re- hella long. I knew it was going to be long just obviously with all the national team and Americans Abroad news to get into. But I'm going to rattle off some of these MLS matches this weekend. Hopefully you're listening to this before these matches. But. Again, the timing's not great, and apologies for that. But start with Atlanta-Nashville. Atlanta's favored, as they should be. They're on a roll. Now, obviously, Nashville's a good opponent, but the way Atlanta's playing right now, and this is Gonzalo Pineda's first match in charge. I'm going to go Atlanta. Take Atlanta. What are they, plus 125? I'm all over that. Take Atlanta to win that one. Red Bulls, Chicago Fire at Red Bull Arena. Red Bulls, the favorites. As we know, they're good at home. The Fire have not won on the road. So as much as they've shown improvements, they're a better team than than you know some people thought they would be. But they still their road woes continue to be an issue. So I'm going to go the Red Bulls at home minus one thirty five. Then you have the El Trafico. As much as I hate that nickname and I never try to use it, but it's what people know it as. LAFC LA Galaxy at the Bank of California Stadium. LAFC is a pretty Comfortable favorite, minus 180. And I didn't look at the injury report, so I don't know who else is injured. But if Carlos Vela and Chicharito are both out for this game, they kind of cancel each other out. And then I'm asking myself, how is an LAFC team that's lost or has not won in six or seven matches in a row now, how are they this? How are they a minus 180 against a pretty decent, a pretty good LA Galaxy team? So I'm looking at LA Galaxy at plus 360, I got to say, that's a pretty good price. That's a pretty good price. But LAFC at home, that's what it comes down to. LAFC at the bank's pretty good. Um, even though Atlanta, Atlanta, eh, uh, I'm going to go. I, <laughs> this is, As you can tell, this is a tough one. Give me the Galaxy plus 360 just because of that price. That's such a good price. And draw at 340 is not bad either. A draw. I get out. You know what? I, give me the draw. Give me plus 340 LA, the LA Derby 
plus 340. I'm going to go for the draw that, on that one. I know it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I like that number. And then you have the battle of the end of the Eastern Conference powers. You have NYCFC playing host to the revolution. And NYCFC, obviously at home, playing in the friendly confines of Yankee Stadium, they're, they're hard to beat. They're hard to beat on that small field, which is why they are minus 170 against New England. And New England, I'm sorry, but how do you make New England a plus 360? I know, I know NYCFC is tough at home. I know Yankee Stadium is a real home field advantage because of the narrowness of the field. But plus 360? When you have Matt Turner, when you have John Buchanan, when you have uh, Gustavo Bo and potentially Carlos Gill, I'm sorry, I'm taking the revs. Plus 360, give me that all day. I'm sorry. And I, again, I haven't seen the injury. I don't know if Carlos Gill is, is available to play, if he's coming back or not, but plus 360, I'm taking New England. I'm sorry. Then you have D.C. and Philly. D.C. at home, plus 115. They're obviously favored at home. I'm taking all the road dogs in this one. Uh, Philly plus 200. Give me the union. No offense to D.C. I know D.C. is better at home, obviously, but I know they're very good at home. But I'm going to go to union. I'm going to go to union. I'm taking all the road dogs. Taking all the road dogs. Then you have the Houston Dynamo at home, plus 115 against Minnesota United. We know Minnesota United has struggled on the road, but Houston has struggled everywhere. I know they've shown some fight. They've battled back in some games. And it feels like every week I'm saying, this is the week. This is the week Houston figures it out. Is this the week? I don't know. Minnesota plus 210 is a decent price. Uh, I'm not, you know what? Tab Ramos. This is it. You got to get, you need this win. Tab Ramos needs this win. This is going to tell us a lot about the Houston Dynamo. If they don't win this game, maybe Tab Ramos is the next one out. Unfortunately for him. Uh, I'm going to go Minnesota plus 210. I just like that price for Minnesota. Then you have Casey, Colorado. Casey, I, I just find it real hard betting against Casey at home. Minus 130. I know Colorado's been playing well. I know. I do. But give me Colorado. Give me Casey plus 130. Minus 130 at home. Hard to bet against. And then you have Austin against Dallas. Interesting one. Again, I feel like they play every week what's going on no uh the how do you bet against the ricardo pepe show right austin plus 100 fc dallas plus 240 give me fc dallas just because the ricardo pepe show i think i can't ricardo pepe puts in the goal at least and then vancouver rsl the 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 coachless derby (laughs) to the two teams who, who, who lost their coaches uh in vancouver i'm gonna go rsl give me rsl in this one uh rsl is a Slight underdog, plus 170. Give me RSL on that one. And then, of course, you have the Cascadia Derby. Seattle at home against Portland. As you would expect, Seattle, minus 175 against the Timbers at plus 400. The Timbers have not been playing well. Point blank. They've been playing pretty badly. I got to go Seattle. They've been on a roll. They've won three. They just came off a three-win road trip, road swing. You got to love them at home. I think they roll. I think they roll. They roll in this one, heading into the international break. Whatever the over/under is, take the over. But I'm going to go Seattle heavy on that on that one. I think Seattle rolls over Portland, and I think that's it. I think we've covered uh, we've covered quite a bit, and uh, this episode has uh, gone over. I was hoping to keep it under an hour, but as it stands right now, it's looking like it's at least an hour five, maybe an hour eight. Apologies for that, especially since this is dropping midday on Saturday. You probably uh, the timing didn't work out for me for for this this week uh, for a variety of reasons, a lot of stuff going on, but. We'll get back into a good rhythm next week. I'll get, I'll assure people of that. 
I think things will get better in terms of the timing front. But hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully we were able to touch on all the topics that uh, everyone was was wanting to get into. Obviously, with the U.S. men's national team, their camp begins on Sunday as they start preparations heading down to El Salvador. U.S. El Salvador on Thursday will be all over that. I'll have an episode on Monday. We'll be we'll be talking about it then and then we'll get deep in deep into the nitty gritty on Wednesday and we'll have a specific preview episode of that one. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a uh, U.S. El Salvador preview episode of the SBI show where we will strictly be talking about the qualifier on Wednesday. So look out for that. Uh, should be a fun week as World Cup qualifying comes back. It feels like forever. And of course, I'm sure people don't want to remember the last time World Cup qualifying was around. But World Cup qualifying is back. And if you're a U.S. fan, you should be excited because this team is ready. This team is stacked. And this team will qualify. The question is, do they run away with it? And I actually think they will. But first things first, they got to get the first W, the first three W's starts in september but that's it that's all for now thank you for listening and as i always say please please uh give your feedback whether it's on the sbi site whether it's on uh, itunes whether it's you know you want to email me at uh you know sbi soccer mail at gmail.com i love feedback twitter hit me up on twitter let me know what you think of the show we'll start changing things up we'll start having guests on soon uh hopefully this week coming up We'll start getting some guests incorporated. The three episode thing will make it a little tougher, but we will get things rolling. We'll we will find that groove to get the SBI show where where it can be at its best. Because that's my goal. I want to make the show as good a show as there is. Talking American soccer. But that's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalar said. This is the SBI show. <laughs>